Any kids want to leave? They have? Okay. Anybody else want to leave? Now is your chance. But, um, no, quite struck by, by the, uh, for me, the kind of the power of what was said. Um, uh, you know, I'm proud. Yeah, it was said today. It's like, we ought to be proud. Jesus said, you know, what you do to the least of these, you do to me. He said, go and feed the hungry. And we're doing it, you know. Um, and to care for people who are in, like, these are many of them pretty broken lives. I think of the guy with, the, with many scars on his body. He's, you know, I, didn't, I don't know the story, but chances are really good he's been in a gang for a lot of years. Because that's pretty common in Nicaragua. And he now has the, sign, the, the scars to prove it. And that man encountered the Lord in our people, right? And can, can I ask you to continue to pray for that guy? And for his brother-in-law, the fellow that uh, Jeff mentioned, I guess. Um, I just think it's so right. It's so good. It's so, it, it's so significant that we are being what we are called to be for Jesus. Um, you know, I don't know how I, I say it in different ways, but I don't want to play church, right? You've heard me say that kind of thing before. What happened in those two weeks? We were being church. And uh, God was making an impact. And... Um, I know the churches in those communities will follow up these people and love them, and if they need to be led to Christ, boy, we just hope and pray that that will happen and that God will continue the work that he started in them. A couple of little thoughts. Number one, anybody here sense that they're being called to Nicaragua to do what these people did? Um, if God's calling you there, would you go? <laughs> God, God blesses the Nicaraguans, obviously, in, in our trips. Uh, and in all that we fund and the ministries that are ongoing a uh, year long. But God blesses us too. It changes us. He changes us when we step out in that way. And um, I think anybody who's been will tell you that. But uh, consider that if you're feeling that tug of God on your heart, you know, maybe that's for me. Second thing, you know what struck me profoundly? I realize I should be preaching about this theme today. And maybe in the future that's what's going to happen, right? But... Uh, our folks went with a very clear intention, and that was to represent Christ in those communities. And it's really, really simple. You just go along to people, you find out their struggle, and you pray for them. And I'm just so profoundly struck right now that we could do that every day here as well. And I, I would imagine many of us are, but this is what I would preach about. <laughs> Maybe you'll get this next year, right? But can you go into your day this afternoon and tomorrow morning and Tuesday morning and so forth with the same intention that those folks went to Nicaragua. A lot of hurting people in this world of ours, really broken and hurting people. And if they share you know, stuff, could you just say, can I pray for you? You know, like, could, I just, could we just stop and, you know, whether it's now or maybe, maybe later, would it be okay if I prayed for you? And you open that door, and God walks into it, right? Um, every single one of us who claim the name of Jesus are missionaries, like we are. The, the thing that happens when we go to Nicaragua is that we go there because we're missionaries, and we go and we give ourselves to it, we're conscious of it, we're aware of it. Here I am preaching, right? <laughs> uh, the, the danger is, and those of you who've just been, keep this in mind, you come home and all of a sudden, well, now I just have to go to work and run my kids everywhere and do this and do that, and we forget that we're missionaries. Don't let it happen. By far the most important thing we, in the world that we can do, we talked about it a week ago, right? It's lead people into a relationship with Jesus, and God will use you. Sometimes it's nothing more than just you saying, can I pray for you? Sometimes it's nothing more than just being there and loving people when they need you the most, right? 
some pretty, pretty cool, profound lessons, I think, for us to take away from even this morning. Well, you know what? Now I have to transition from uh, this kind of significant moment in, in praise and in thinking about Nicaragua and talk about sex. Last in the series of love, sex, and uh, lasting relationships this morning. And I thought, is there a connection? Here's the connection. Well, when you heard what God was doing through these people and others on the team, you know, I'm sitting and thinking, there's a real beauty in this. This idea of sharing Jesus and bringing, there's beauty in it. Because God loves those people, and God wants to touch their lives, and God wants them to know him. And it's a beautiful thing to get caught up in that process. And I'm just thinking about this sermon I'm going to speak to you now, I'm going to preach to you. There's real beauty in knowing God's will and living it out. There's a beautiful thing in sexual purity that we labeled it a couple of weeks ago. Just doing this God's way. Finding the rightness of that and and knowing God's will. And if we've blown it, finding forgiveness and moving on to discover everything that God has for us. So um, I hope we'll take that, that comment as maybe a bit of an introduction to this and a transition. But we'll come to a place of seeing that beauty this morning. Let me briefly pray. Gracious God, uh, thank you for this Nicaragua team that has gone and represented us, but more than that, represented you. Thank you that you touched lives, and we pray, Lord, for those two young men that we heard about, that little child of written love, cleaned up, literally, washed the dirt off, and held in her arms. We pray that every person, God, that you touch through our team's ministry will now have a hunger and thirst for Christ, and that you will lead the Christians in those areas, and that you will lead those people that they might find the beauty of knowing you. And we pray, Lord, that their lives and those communities and that country will be transformed because of what we did. And God, help us to be people who are on mission here, just willing to pray and love in Jesus' name. Um, And Lord, help us now to find the beauty uh, in knowing your will and doing it in every area of our lives. Now especially, Lord, in what's called sexual purity. Guide us, Father. Join us here, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. You know, when a pastor takes off his watch and puts it right here, you know what that means? Huh? I can't hear you. No, it's not broken, 11.52. I can see it on the back wall. Uh, Usually it means absolutely nothing. (laughs) But I'm going to do my best. Well, you know, as we come to the end of this series, uh, series, I hope that you realize God's way is incredibly different than the way of the world when it comes to love, sex, and lasting relationships. And, and we've been through this, and we've talked about it, and, and, and a couple of weeks ago, we, we kind of held up the model of, you know, aiming for what's called sexual purity, turning away from sexual immorality, impurity, and sexual greed. Uh, Ephesians 5 is the passage we're looking at, and that's in an earlier verse from what we're going to look at today. Uh, in body and in mind and in heart and in speech, across the board. Um, sexual activity, the Bible says, is to be left for marriage, and that's not just when two people feel committed to one another. That's not marriage. That's when you stand in the presence of God in a public place, such as this, and you make vows to one another. It's a public declaration and a, a, a critical moment in going forward. In that safe and committed and covenant relationship where two people can then give themselves to one another in every way, physically, as well as mentally and emotionally and so forth. God has designed us. He has designed and created sexuality. He knows how it best works. And, and if we come to the place where we say, Lord, I want sexual purity in my life, today the question is, how do you get there? 
In this world of ours, that's not an easy deal. That's not an easy thing by any means. Because this world is just uh, flooded with images and concepts and ideas of sexual immorality that are embraced. So how do you put a game plan together? That's the thought for this morning. And we're just going to move through these ideas. First thing I want to suggest to you is this. And and they're going to grow out of the passage that we'll be looking at. Um, See, I was putting it away already. (laughs) I'll leave it there. But, it, but, but th- this is the first idea I want to bring to you, that we have got, if we're really serious about sexual purity, we've got to start by considering the consequences of sexual immorality. Just take a few minutes to think about the downside of doing it the world's way versus God's way. We've talked about some of these things, as you will know if you've been here, the idea of the hurts that come into our lives uh, because of the giving ourselves to another, then the tearing apart, the broken relationships that often ensue because of a lack of trust, too many trust violations, too many uh, uh, abuses of the idea of intimacy that when we come to a place where we really want to bond with another, it's hard, and you know, the, the, the impact of children after divorce and all these sorts of things. But I want to read you a passage of scripture, and if nothing else, if you take this seriously, you're going you're to sit back after I read three verses, and you're going to go, wow. This, in the context of this world, is shocking, but I want you to listen to it. It says this, Ephesians 5, verses 5 to 7. For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Stop, right there. I'm going to read two more verses, but that's shocking. Any person who lives immorally, impure, or greedy sexually, we've defined that, is defined by scripture as someone who is an idolater and has no place in the kingdom of God. Wow, strong stuff, right? Next verse, verse 6. No, let no one deceive you with empty words, and many of them are spoken to us in this day. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. There's this therefore word again. Considering what I've just said, don't join people in their behavior. So Paul writes to the Ephesian churches. Um... This is serious stuff that Paul brings to these Christians. The sexually impure or immoral person is defined by God, is an idolater, and has no place in the kingdom of God. Is like, what? Um, let me say this right up front, and let me make it absolutely clear. The person being described here is not a believer, not a follower of Jesus. Um, number one, because the wrath of God, and we'll talk about that in a minute, for those who are in Christ, the wrath of God is being placed on Christ on the cross. It's done. And it's not a possibility for us anymore. But also because they are an idolater, you know, the, the idea is that, that, that they are worshiping something else other than God. These people have not made Christ their Lord. They've made something else God. And as a result, they can expect the wrath of God, which is essentially the anger of God. Now, can we agree this is heavy? This is a big deal. And, and, and for those of us who maybe are a little lax in this area, maybe a little too much influenced by the world, I think verses like this are there to shake us, to shake us up into reality, to wake us up. You see, the, the image here, uh, potentially in the minds of some, is this, is this wrathful and angry God, furious and vindictive and firing lightning bolts at people and wanting to you know, destroy them and all that. That's not the God of the Bible. Now, the God of the Bible is what? The God of the Bible is a God of love and of grace and of joy and of beauty and, 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 and so forth. 
But it says very clearly, sexual immorality does make God mad. How come? Let me, let me illustrate it this way. I mean, if you're ever like in a parking lot at Walmart or somewhere, and you see some parent really hammering their kid in discipline, you know, it's abusive. And something inside you rises up and says, just says, stop that. Sometimes that even makes us go over and say, stop that. Sometimes we hear in the news about little children that are sexually abused. And I don't know about you, but something rises up in me and it gets angry about that because it's wrong and it shouldn't happen. You see, there is an, a, a righteous anger and that's what's going on in God because he looks down upon people he loves and he sees, sees them engaging in stuff that he knows is only going to hurt them and, 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 and bring heartache into their lives and complicate their relationships in the future, all these things that we've spoken to in the past. And God just gets mad. Because something rises up in him and he says, stop that. Don't do that. It hurts. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting my people. So that, that I think, can be seen as a righteous anger and an understandable dynamic. What about this idea of idolatry? Well, idolatry is nothing other than putting something before God in our lives. It's taking God off the pedestal and putting something else there. The Bible says... You know, this is so interesting. It's a strong connection between, all the way through the Bible, between idolatry and sexuality. You know that? God was, uh, you know, he formed a people uh, called Israel, and he said, I've got a promised land for you to enter. And he said, okay, as I'm leading you to this thing, I want you to go in, and I want you to take the land. But when you get there, when you're in that, that land of incredible blessing, land flowing with milk and honey, and my, my grace is all over you people, don't worship the God of the surrounding nations. You know, you know what those gods were or the gods? He said also, don't intermarry with them because by the very nature of intermarrying, you'll be bringing people into my holy people who are to worship only me and they'll bring their gods with them. He says, don't do it. Um, those gods were primarily Baal and Asheroth. And, you know, what Baal was symbolized by a, stall, a tall pillar of stone and Asheroth was a tall wooden pillar. Quite frankly, without being overly graphic, they're phallic symbols. These are fertility religions, fertility gods. Sexuality and worship for the pagans was all connected. And then come along into the New Testament area. This wasn't the case, of course, in Jer Jerusalem and the people of God, but in, in, in the pagan world surrounding them, uh, temple prostitution was a very normal part of pagan worship. We're literally participating with a prostitute was part of your worship experience. So there's this connection with sexuality and idolatry throughout Scripture. And, and, and God comes along, Paul comes along, God through Paul in this text. He said, if, if you're engaging in sexual immorality, you are committing idolatry. And of course he says... Don't do it. What he's, what he's saying is here, if you live to satisfy uh, the God of, of the sexual appetite as opposed to believing in God and believing in what he says and obeying what he has told us to do and then living in his way, you are worshiping sex, sexuality, rather than me. And what the Lord says, again, consistently in Scripture, if you're worshiping something else, you're not worshiping me. And here in explicit terms, he's saying, if that's the choice you've made for your life, not the odd slip-up, but if that's the path you have chosen, you are worshiping something other than me. And if you're, not, if you're worshiping something other than me, that I am not your God and you're not in my kingdom. Now that's a wow moment, right? That's serious stuff. 
my friends, it's not what we profess. It's not what we think we are. The Bible consistently says, if you want to know if you're in the kingdom of God, take a look at your life and how you're living your life, and then you'll know whether there's evidence of faith, and you will know who you are. That's what's going on here in the text. Paul comes along to, the, comes along to these people, and he says, if you belong to the Lord, if you believe in him, not only what Jesus has done on the cross, but also what God has spoken in his word, you will root your life on the truth of God's word, the thinking of the Lord, you will embrace it, and you will worship him as a result. And one thing you will do is turn away from sexual immorality. Now, the Christian people sometimes slip and fall and make mistakes. Yeah. In all kinds of areas of sinfulness. But such folks then will come to an understanding of what they have done and they will repent of it and they will turn away from it and they will embrace the way of God and they will experience the grace and the forgiveness of God, but they won't live there. That's what's being described here. Um, verse 6 says, don't be deceived with empty words. <laughs> Don't be deceived, my Christian brothers and sisters. God speaks here. And we who are his are called to holiness, a belief in what he has spoken, an obedience to what he has said. We are called to exalting Christ as our Lord in obedience to him. And we must choose the way of Jesus, not the way of the world. So number one, consider the negative effects, the negative consequences of sexual immorality. I want to I move to a second point. Um, we've got to come to a place, I would suggest to you, that's going to come out of verses 8 to 10, where we just get to that point in our lives where we make a, an absolute commitment to sexual purity in our lives and having nothing to do with sexual immorality in any way. Let me read verses 8 to 10 for you. For you were once darkness. Yeah, you, you once lived without the light of Christ, without understanding, without salvation, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Remember we talked earlier about walking in love? Now he's saying walk in light in this new understanding. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Um, my friends, we're called to walk in light, to be children of the light. And we're supposed to know in our heart of hearts what God wants and then do it. Let me ask you this question. Does knowing what God wants actually produce it in us? Does a knowledge of what's right and good actually get translated by definition into behavior? I don't think so. There are a lot of people who know that smoking will kill them, but they keep on smoking. Right? I, I read a week and a half ago that 80% of people who smoke will die of a smoking-related illness. But a lot of people will read that but keep on smoking. A lot of people know that if, you, if, if we exercise, it will provide a life and vitality to our bodies and we'll be healthy and we'll probably live longer. But a lot of them don't exercise very much. <laughs> uh, yeah, eat, eat a lot of junk food, you know. You're, you're, <laughs> your arteries will plug up. You know, you know, it's like it's not healthy. You can't do it. Eat, eat a health, in a healthy fashion, you'll be, you'll be vibrant, probably live longer and so forth. But a lot, of, a lot of people, even knowing that, still go to McDonald's a lot or Wendy's or Harvey's or whatever. See, having a knowledge of something is incredibly important. And I hope people in our church over these last bunch of weeks have come to an understanding of what the Lord's will is, but having that knowledge doesn't necessarily bring us to that place of an absolute personal commitment to sexual purity. Let me read verse 11 uh, and, and, and get to the point. Have nothing to do. If you're an underliner of scripture, get out your pen and underline it. 
have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And I want to tell you, you know, in this phrase, is that there is this sense of, I'm, I'm going to make up my mind about this one. I'm going to get committed to this. I have made a decision to personal sexual purity, and I'm going to have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, or greed, as is previously described, in both in my body, in my mind, in my heart, and even in my speech. That's the sermon two weeks ago. I'm going to be committed to this. Let me read uh, 2 Timothy 2.22, another, another uh, similar verse, same author, Paul. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a, what kind of a heart? Pure heart. Same thing. It flows out of the heart. Now, the key words in this verse for me are flee and pursue. It's like run away from sexual immorality in body and in mind and heart and in speech. Run from it. And pursue as you move away righteousness, faith, love, and peace. How along with those people, those people with a similar conviction who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You know, a lot of Christians will hear the boundaries that God has established for uh, sexual behavior uh, for his people. And, and the question isn't how can I run away from those boundaries. The question is how close can I get to the boundaries before I actually sin. You know what I'm talking about? How much can I do with my boyfriend, my girlfriend, or whatever, before I actually get to that place where I've really blown it and fallen into sin? My friends, I want you to listen to this. God did not give his boundaries so we could get close to them. He did not give his boundaries so that we could get close to them. As a matter of fact, I would suggest to you he gave his boundaries so that we could run away from them, so that we can avoid sin in significant ways. And I'm going to give you some ideas about how to do this some practical ideas about how to, how to have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness and how to embrace and pursue a, a sexual purity. Number one, can I suggest this? Avoid scenarios where sin will easily happen. This is not brain surgery, but it's something that seems to escape us. If you want to stay sexually pure, don't find yourself with your boyfriend or girlfriend on lover's lane at 2 a.m. in the morning. Because chances are pretty good you're headed somewhere with that, right? Have nothing to do with it. Run away from it. Flee the youthful desires of, or the lust, uh, the youthful desire, whatever I said to you before. You know, run away from it. (laughs) Those youthful desires, right? Don't put yourself in a position where things could easily happen that you don't want to happen in your heart of hearts. And that's where I think it's so important this verse that describes, you know, the, the, the doing things along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You know, instead of, you know, having that kind of date, is it possible to date with a group? To, to hang out, even as a couple, with other Christians in a scenario where it's pretty unlikely you're going to go where you don't want to go? You know, we have to, you know, think about how we're going to be together, how we're going to experience this relationship, in what context we're going to experience the relationship, because the context will determine in large measure what you end up doing or not doing. Now, a lot of people, maybe even dating right now, it's saying, but Chris, we want to be together. We don't want to be with all the... Yeah, I know that. And if that's the case, then get married. And then you can be together all the time. Marriage kind of defines such a thing. You know, that's God's suggestion, that's God's intention. But in the meantime, learn the self-control, learn the discipline, learn to honor God, learn to put God on the pedestal, learn to worship Him, as opposed to something else. 
So number one, create the scenarios which are going to lead to sexual purity as opposed to otherwise. Number two, consider your activities and choose those activities which are going to allow you to be sexually pure, mind, heart, body, and, and, and then speech. Make a commitment ahead of time so if, that if you're sitting watching television and sexual um, uh, scenes come on the television which are contrary to the clear and express will and mind of God, that your immediate response is simply going to be to turn off the television. Turn it off. Movies. Is it possible that, yes, it is, to check them out before you get there so that we don't view sexual immorality as defined by Scripture? Let me read verse 12 for you. It says this. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Now think about this. It's shameful for Christians to even mention, to talk about what the disobedient do in secret. Um, my friends, let me ask you this question. If we're not to think, as Jesus said uh, about a woman lustfully, if we're not to talk about what some people do in terms of sexual immorality, how can we think that it's okay to watch it on a movie screen? How can we think that? Uh, I want to suggest to you that we can't. Such viewing, whether it's television, whether it's movies, whether it's on the internet, it will impact us, it will impact our thinking, it will change our hearts, it will change our lives, it will lead likely very often to behavior that we, on our, in our heart of hearts, don't want to engage in. That's why I choose to not go to movies where there's nudity. And I'm not saying, oh, isn't Chris wonderful? Pat Chris on the back. I'm not. But it's just my own personal conviction. Some people might call that prudish. Quite frankly, some people have called it prudish. I personally don't think it's prudish at all. Um, to me, it's just a commitment to sexual purity in body, in mind, in heart, in speech. And that's what I want for my life. You see, instead of getting close to the boundary, instead of getting close to that which God calls wrong, we're to walk away from it. We're to flee it. Run away, another translation says. In all of its expression, just say no. For I want my mind and my heart to be pure in the presence of my God. One more idea that we can engage in along with those who share a pure heart and the desires and the convictions that we might hold is this. Is it possible for you to consider arranging accountability for ourselves in this area of life? What about the idea of asking someone to ask you how you're doing on a fairly regular basis regarding sexual purity? Empower someone to ask you, to check in with you so that you might walk in the light. See, the Bible says we are never to walk alone. The Bible says that there is no solitary Christianity, right? I read in preparing for this series that every time in the New Testament, and I've never read this before, so I, I'd, I'd almost want to check it out before I really can say it with conviction, but at least one author said every time the word you, Y-O-U, is used in the New Testament, it's used in the second person plural. In other words, it's not to, spoken to an individual, it's spoken to a group of people, the community of Christ. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, which many of you might know, he said, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the day of Jesus Christ, right? For years and years, I thought, oh, he's talking about me. The work that God began in me, he will carry on until Christ returns. It's actually has a, an expression of truth because I'm part of a larger you, but it's really, the verse is written to a church in a city called Philippi. What God began in you, congregation, he will carry on till the day of Christ Jesus. 
He's not going to let you go. He's not going to forget about you. He's not going to cease strengthening you and enabling you to do what he calls you to do and to be. See, the point is we're never called to do this Christian life alone. That's why the Christian community is so significant and incredibly important. We need each other. And my friends, accountability is one of those ways in which we need each other. I understand impact or men's ministry. There's a lot of accountability happening in the, in the small groups that they form after their open session. And guys just sit down together and they share about where they're struggling, where they're hurting, where they need prayer and accountability. I don't know whether sexual accountability, sexual purity is part of that discussion, but I can't imagine it not being. And guys, if it's not happening, it's time that it start. We have a women's ministry now. The same thing could happen there. And, and, and envision a life group where people get together and every now and then maybe the guys go one way and women go another way and they sit down and they share with one another how they're really doing with sexual temptation. Can you imagine that? You say, oh, Chris, you don't want to really, <laughs> come on, you don't want to tell people about. If, you, if, you, if we're not at a place where there's enough trust in our group and we're open enough with one another to be able to talk about a very real and powerful aspect of, of, of life and what it means to follow Jesus in this way, then there's something wrong. We have not yet discovered true Christian community in such a fashion that could profoundly impact us. And I want to tell you, people will fail, and when people will fail, we are, I hope and I pray, and I'm sure it's consistent with the nature of this church, there will not be judgment and there will not be condemnation. There's going to be grace given to people, and they're going to be led to repentance and to forgiveness, and then there's going to be ongoing support for them in their, in their walk. This is what community is intended to be. And I, I, IPC, I call you to it. God calls us to accountability with one another. Last, last point. Never think you're beyond failing in this area of life first corinthians chapter 10 verse 12 says this so if you think you were standing firm i got it i'm never going to fall i'm never going to sin be careful that you don't fall um whenever we get to that point that we think this temptation is not something i'm going to struggle with or blow you know i'm not going to blow in in this area of life then we are in a pretty dangerous place because it's very possible it will happen Really briefly, King David sinned in a sexually immoral way. It was a, you know, probably a lot of you know the story. She uh, had sex with Bathsheba. She was another man's wife. It was adultery. She became pregnant. He had to kill her husband to kind of cover it over. The child died. It was a mess. Sexual immorality produces heartache. That's the story of that story. Let me tell you this. King David was not a bad man. I want to tell you King David was a godly man. But he had a weak moment. And it, it deeply impacted his life and the lives of a lot of people. Never assume you can handle this alone. My friends, we need one another. Live in accountability and an openness with other people. Um, I'm going to read to you, in conclusion, Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 18. And wrap up. Be very careful then. What did it say? <laughs> Be very careful, those of you who are mine. How you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are, we live in evil days, according to scripture and according to God. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Very simply, my friends, how many people here long in their heart of hearts for the beauty of sexual purity. God created sex, he designed us, he knows how it functions best, and he says, leave it alone until you marry. 
That's a grammatic or radical statement in this culture, but that's what he says. As you form a relationship, keep physical activity at an absolute minimum. Learn what it means to be self-controlled because of the Spirit of God within us. Learn what it means to, to be living in self-denial because the Bible teaches us that it leads to life. Learn what it means to be godly. And I want to tell you, when you get to that relationship, having learned self-control, self-denial, and godliness, you'll be an incredible husband or an incredible wife. And your relationships will be deeply blessed. My friends, employ some constructive means such as we've described today in order that we might be holy and find the beauty of sexual purity before God. Discover his best for you. Seek it, pursue it, and find the empowerment of God to enable you to do what it is that God calls us to do. Let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you for uh, revealing your thoughts to us. They're so dramatically different from this world. They literally shock us when we hear them and we understand them. But we pray, Father, that you would empower us, that you would lead us in wisdom to an understanding of what your will is, and that you would enable us to do exactly what you have called us to do. Lord, there are people here today, some need forgiveness, uh, and need to come to you and just say, I'm sorry for what I've done. And Lord, when they do, they will be forgiven and cleansed, and they can start over. Some people need to make decisions about their circumstance at the moment, enable them to do it, Father. God, some of us, all of us need the presence and the power of your spirit in our lives to keep us sexually pure. Lord, lead us in your will that we might find life and cause us to know how good and incredible and wonderful and remarkable a God you are. Lord, lead us in holiness. Lead us to sexual purity. Lead us to the relationships that you call us to as we seek Jesus and make him our Lord. And these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. My friends, let's rise together in the good old-fashioned manner, and I'll pronounce the benediction on you. Huh? That you might be the people of God, that you might be empowered to live a holy life before him, that you might have a deep conviction in your heart which is rooted in an understanding of the Lord's will. I bless you in the name of God the Father, and of God the Son, and of God the Holy Spirit. Go from this place to honor him, to worship him and him alone, and to live your lives for your Lord, your Savior, and your King, Christ Jesus. God bless you. Thank you for being with us today. I'll see you soon. Jesus.